When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Live from New York, I'm Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. At war, the White House considering a further $1 trillion of aid, it's not enough. Unprecedented in peacetime, the UK joins Germany promising to do whatever it takes, even as factories close and jobs are lost. And experts demand we stay at home. But is it happening? It's only Wednesday. Let's make a move. Again, to our first movers all around the globe as we go once more into the breach together. As I mentioned, President Trump joining other global leaders saying we are at war. And like all wars, there will be days of hope and days of despair. And not just because you may be working from home or you're away from school. I feel your pain. But that's reflected in the tug of war we're witnessing in stock markets. We've got, on the one hand, rapidly declining fundamentals versus the other side, the power of government support. It's building. Like I said, it's not enough. U.S. stocks have fallen 5% pre-market once again, so they've not been able to trade any lower. This is for the fourth time in eight days. Exchange-traded funds, ETFs that track the S&P 500, are pointing to early session losses of, as you can see there, some 7%. The Dow is simply yo-yoing up and down in a 1,000-point-plus daily range. What's not helping us today in terms of sentiment, but it is a sign of the times, energy lower, as you can see, tumbling to 17-year lows. We've got U.S. crude now below 25 a barrel. It's a sign of recession concerns. It's also not helping the financials either who have big loans to this industry in particular. The good news though, support is building. We're seeing more measures coming in now, emergency measures from the Federal Reserve even last night to help shore up the system plus stimulus. The UK now has a $400 billion plus package on the table. They say more's coming. Japan considering cash handouts to fiscal hardliner Germany, even to the point perhaps of considering joint EU bonds to raise money. I lose words for how incredible that is. Facebook writing $1,000 checks to all its permanent employees. The Trump administration now talking about a $1 trillion plus stimulus plan. It's good. I'll repeat it. It's not enough. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson said yesterday in a wartime government, you do everything it takes to win. I agree. The risks here are asymmetric. The risks of doing too little short term, unmanageable. The risk of doing too much at this moment, irrelevant. It's down to governments now. Let's get to the drivers. Christine Romans joins me now. Christine. I can't say it enough. I'm sure I'll continue to say it. It's not enough. Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin reportedly suggested yesterday we could see a 20 percent 
unemployment rate in the United States in terms of numbers. We're talking more than 30 million people. I know they've walked it back. Yep. For me, this makes sense. It's frightening and it's real. This is why action's needed. These are the kind of conversations that happen behind closed doors when you're trying to convince senators that uh, this might not be palatable to spend borrowed money in the tune of a trillion, two trillion dollars to get what was a healthy economy three weeks ago back on its feet. Uh, so I could see I could see that conversation happening. I could also see the Treasury Department trying to walk it, walk it back because they don't want to frighten people. A depression era unemployment. What we know is in very short time, we're going to start seeing these numbers in the weekly jobless claims figures in the U.S. and in data coming in. We know that there are more than 4 million uh, bar and restaurant workers just in the five states that have closed the bars since Saturday. That's 4 million people who are not working right now. So I'm sure you're going to see a spike in, in unemployment claims and you're going to start to see layoffs and people not working to the tune of, of millions very, fairly quickly, Julia. Greg Fleming, former president of Merrill Lynch, was on a, a different channel this morning. He talked about 30 million SMEs in the United States, employing 60 million people. I'm, I'm quoting him. I, I think the numbers are probably bigger. Mm. I'm hearing stories all the time of people who are saying, look, I, I'll try and hold on to my workers, but my company's closing. I, I, yeah. There's nothing I can do here. More and more stories. These are the numbers that we're talking about. And it's not just, to your point, about the restaurant industry. It's every yeah. sector that we're yeah. talking about here. We are pressing the pause button on the global economy, we've never done that before. I mean, one after another, the people who study this for a living say, we are engineering the world into a global recession and it could be here right now. Now, you heard Deutsche Bank today say that we will likely see uh, a quarterly collapse in economic activity unlike anything we've seen on record going back to World War II. But they're still forecasting that that economy will rev up again maybe later this year or early next year. Uh, others are uh, capital economics also this morning saying Second quarter GDP in the U.S. will be down 10 percent. But again, if the measures are appropriate and fast and big, you will see this bounce back uh, later this year. There's just no playbook for this, Julia. We've never on purpose stopped economies to stop the spread of, of a virus. It's just there's no parallel in in economic history or human history, which makes this such a dangerous moment. We've been saying on this show now for some three weeks, we don't have a model. There is no model for this. And we have to understand the gravity of the of the situation here. You know, I, I've been getting pushback on social media and watching people saying recessions are healthy. You know, right. stop throwing money at the system. We have to let some go. We're talking about everybody being let go all at once. And the point that you made is such a critical one too. The recovery here depends on the response now and how speedy it comes. And right. my maths here are really simple. A $20 trillion US economy, we're taking it out for two to three months, we're saying, potentially here. So you're talking $5 trillion. Is half of that jobs, personnel. That's right. where I'm getting really basic numbers, two and a half trillion dollars from. And that's the kind of response I'm talking about. Christine, the other thing that's that's driving me crazy, the idea of talking about shutting the markets. We need the markets open here. I think that the conversation is irresponsible. Uh, and I think that asking the question over and over is also irresponsible. The markets 
are open so that people can have access to their money. They can price risk uh, and they don't feel as though they have been shut out of the system. I mean, it is just as simple as the sun rising and setting. That's what those markets do. That's how they price risk. Uh, They have been closed before. They were closed after September 11th because the actual location of the world's largest market uh, had had been bombed two blocks away. You know, that was a logical reason where you had to uh, close the markets. And when they reopened, they could process what had happened. Uh, But it is incredibly rare to close markets and would send even even shortening the hours would send a a real I think it would send a frightening message to investors and regular bank account holders all over the world. I couldn't agree more. It's a way to measure risk. It's a message, too, to congressmen, to the White House, to say this is how dire the situation is, not only for small people that want the ability to, to get their money out and get their money in and out. Thank you, Christine. Great nice to have to you with us. Christine Romans there. All right, speaking of fiscal responses, the UK has fired its own bazooka of economic stimulus worth some $400 billion plus. It's joining a growing list of European governments forced to unleash costly rescue packages. Anna Stewart is in London. Anna Stewart, in the space of a week, we've gone from talking about what a $12 billion targeted stimulus in the UK to $400 billion worth, potentially, if not more. And all the while, businesses are shutting their doors. This is why it's needed. It's incredible. Six days ago, that budget was announced. It was the coronavirus budget. As you said, £12 billion, $14 billion to help the economy through it. It seemed great at the time, woefully inadequate now. So the UK's latest measures, which I'll get into, but total $400 billion in terms of the overall fiscal package. Let's put that into context against the other big European economies. We have Spain, $220 $220 billion. We have Germany, 550. In general, the big European economies are spending here around 15 to 20% of their GDP. Apart from, you can see there, Italy, currently their package is $28 billion. Of course, we expect more from them. Now, the UK was the latest. So let's take a deep dive into what they have announced. An additional $23 billion uh, for businesses. That will be in tax holidays, cash grants, interest-free loans, that sort of thing, plus $390 billion in government loan guarantees. That's where we're seeing those big, big figures. The thing we're expecting more from, and I have to say the Chancellor said this is not the final word, is what do you do with the people being laid off and how can you stop companies from laying people off? So we expect a lot more on that. Currently, it's just a three-month holiday for mortgage repayments, trying to boost our benefits system. But we do expect a lot more on that. As you're saying to Christine, this is going to be the big real-term problem for real people, the real economy, real businesses. Julia? And we're seeing that. We're seeing businesses shutter. Volkswagen, one of those saying we are literally down tools. In Europe, that's it. Think of the jobs here. And there's many more, Anna. We're already seeing it. And that's why the response has to be fast. Yeah, and we've just had news from Lego. They're closing all of their stores apart from those in China. They are going to pay all their staff. You mentioned Volkswagen. They are shutting their plants across Europe. And that adds from Fiat Chrysler, the owner of Peugeot, Renault. They are closing in total 35 plants already across Europe. The auto sector directly or indirectly employs 14 million people in Europe. Now, we don't know what this means for each and every job, but just that is such a huge number. Governments need to do much, much more to help individual people and the businesses that support them and possibly a more coordinated effort from Europe. 
One interesting example I will mention before I go, Sweden and Denmark. Now, they've actually offered to reimburse companies for a very high proportion of wages of those people that would be laid off some, from some big companies. So maybe we see something like that. But different countries are taking different measures. I think we'll see a more coordinated response in the coming weeks. Julia? Yeah. The more support from governments, the more companies are able to go, we just hold. We don't fire people. We mm-hmm. just hold for two to three months. Anna Stewart, thank you for that. OK, we keep looking to uh, Asia, particularly East Asia, for signs of hope, I think, of a, a stabilisation in the outbreak. They're maintaining a downward trend in daily coronavirus infections. In South Korea, reporting just 93 new cases today. It's the fourth day in a row the country has fewer than 100 cases. Japan. 47 fresh cases and China reporting just 13 new cases today. Ivan Watson is live in Hong Kong with the latest. Ivan, I don't want to give people too much hope, but we've seen stringent measures taken all over the place and it looks like stabilisation. It is pretty remarkable, Julia, if you consider that a few weeks ago, China was counting thousands of new cases of coronavirus a day. It was logging hundreds of deaths due to the disease daily. And now those numbers have plummeted, as you just mentioned. They they counted, according to the official figures, 13 new cases on Tuesday and 11 deaths. So something that they have done has managed to slow the spread of this illness. Part of that is due to these really draconian measures, uh, particularly targeting the city of Wuhan, a population of around 11 million people where coronavirus was first discovered. To this day, the residents of that city are not allowed to cross the thresholds of their homes. They are still in complete lockdown. However, as the infection rate has decreased, some other cities in the province of Hubei, where Wuhan is found, some of them have seen some of their restrictions uh, lifted. Some of the police checkpoints lifted, for example. Some residents in some other cities allowed to to move around in their neighborhoods. And the provincial government has announced that it is going to create uh, systems of uh, identifying different regions as areas of high, medium, and low risk. Other news that three out of China's 26 provinces on Monday may see their schools reopen. So we are seeing incrementally some signs of progress. Here in Hong Kong, a city that everybody expected was going to be absolutely clobbered by this pandemic due to its close proximity to mainland China, it has managed to keep the number of infections uh, confirmed below 200. But there's been a jump in the last 24 hours of 14 new cases. And this is the concern among some Asian societies that have seen some success with social distancing, with shutting down many sectors of their economy and society to try to deal seriously with the epidemic, is that now the perceived threat is not from inside, it's from quote unquote imported cases. So of the new 14 new cases discovered in the last 24 hours here in Hong Kong, 13 of them are from people who recently traveled internationally or who were on close proximity with people who traveled internationally. So the city government here is imposing a new system 
as of midnight on Thursday, any person traveling from outside of mainland China or Macau, anybody flying here will go under mandatory 14-day quarantine. That is where the perceived threat is, and that's where the city officials say they need to, what they need to confront to prevent losing the ground that they've gained through their hard work over the last month and a half. Julia. Yeah. Extreme measures, but extremely necessary. Ivan Watson, great to have you with us. Thank you so much for that. And again, this is why the message here is so brutal. Stay at home. That's the message from governments worldwide as they advise self-isolation, social distancing and shutdowns, as Ivan was describing. But it's not happening enough. And that, warns CNN's chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, means we are woefully unprepared, quote, for what's ahead. CNN senior medical correspondent Elizabeth Cohen joins me now. Elizabeth, it's hard. It's hard for us to understand that our daily lives have to change so dramatically. How do we make it clear to people that when they're told to stay at home, that has to be it. We have to do this. Well, first of all, I think we can be super specific, and I think specificity really helps about what exactly can you do or can't you do. I'll give you an example. In California, uh, the state in the United States, they told uh, folks there, the governor told folks, you know what, if you're elderly, if you have underlying medical problems, we don't want you to go out. We want other people to do your grocery shopping for you. We want other people to bring you food from, you know, takeaway food from restaurants. We do not want you going out. I think that's very, very specific. And then to set up those services to make that happen. This is serious. This is real. We are being asked to make sacrifices. I think, you know, one thing that I know has helped a lot of people is to think about the sacrifices that, say, our grandparents or great-grandparents or great-great-great-parents, grandparents made in times of war. They were sent off to war. We are not being asked to, to, to go to war. We are being asked to sit on our couches. It is difficult. It is certainly not easy. It is hard to be isolated from the people that we love and who we want to be with. That's what FaceTime and Skype are for. But we are being asked to do this, and we need to do this, because that is what's going to help end this outbreak. It's not going to be quick, but it's also, in some ways, a minor sacrifice compared to what our forefathers and foremothers had to do. Yeah, it's a, a war of boredom and restriction, but mm. wow, for the greater good. Elizabeth Cohen, thank you so much. Great Thanks. advice there. Thank you. All right, we're going to take a break here on First Move, but coming up as we head towards another punishing market open, will cash handouts help? And what's more is required. And later, the CEO of Slack on the benefits of homeworking and beating social isolation. Useful advice for us all. That's after this. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move. Bazookas one day, bedlam the next. That's the reality that we're dealing with. U.S. futures have hit the limit down once again. We're anticipating early losses of some 7 if that happens, we'll be in that process once again of a 15-minute trading halt. We'll be here to walk you through it. Europe, meanwhile, posting major losses. Asia also had a weak session. What we're going to watch today, too, Boeing. The aerospace giant down 19% in pre-market trading. Reports say it's asking the United States for $60 billion in emergency assistance. Just to give you a sense... 
This company employs 140,000 people, never mind the industries attached to it. Joining us now, Jason Furman, former chairman of the Council of Economic Advisers under President Obama. Jason, fantastic to have you with us. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. You were the first person, and I read your views in the Wall Street Journal, that was saying send cash to people, $1,000 to adults, $500 to, to children. How did you envisage this working? And is what we're seeing building support in Congress at this moment what you planned? Yeah, I think we are seeing growing support for it. I, we don't know the details of what President Trump said he was in favor of yesterday, but I think it's an idea like this. You've seen Democrats like Senator Sherrod Brown, Congressman Joe Kennedy, and many others um, come out in favor of this idea. I think it's important to understand, and I hope we'll get to this, it's only part of the answer, um, but I do think it's an important part. We had Treasury Secretary Mnuchin yesterday saying, look, I'm not giving a thousand dollar check to millionaires. There's suggestions that there might be limits. My view is I'm not sure we have time for that. Yes, there are challenges. We saw it in Australia when they tried it during the financial crisis. Dead people were being sent checks. Jason, is there time in your view to, to limit this or does it have to be blanket purely for speed? Yeah, so I think speed matters a lot. I don't think you want to be too fancy about over-targeting. You know, would rather someone gets it who doesn't need it than the opposite. The government is operating, you know, on telework. People are, children are home. People will start to get sick. So I think we really can't assume a great capacity for the government. Um, I do think the conversations I've had over the last few days with technical administrative people that we can effectively not send it to millionaires and that won't delay it. So I think that is a form of targeting that they probably can do. And if they can do it, they certainly should. What else is required, Jason, to your point? This is just one tool. We need way more. What else can be used here? Are you in favor of payroll, zero payroll taxes, allowing people perhaps to delay paying tax? It's a bridge that we need, a gap, a financial gap that needs filling. Yeah, I think uh, I payroll tax cut I'm not such a fan of because it only goes to the people who are working and they're the ones who probably need at least um, delaying taxes, certainly something that we should consider. Some of the most vulnerable, those getting nutritional assistance, many of them got it through schools, may need to make sure that we're increasing it outside of schools. The states are going to be slammed by this. Their revenue is going to go down. Their spending is going to go up. They're our first line of defense. They need more funds. Um, and finally, on the business side, you know, getting businesses through this huge cash crunch because you can go bankrupt, but you can't go unbankrupt. And yes. we want to tide them through now so we're in a position to recover when the pandemic has passed. You can't all go bankrupt at once as well, which is the potential of, of the risk that we're facing here. To your point about targeting people that are working, what about freezing what about saying to people, do not fire people? Because while they're hired or furloughed, they still have their benefits. They're still hired. To your point, yes, people that perhaps are working don't need this, but a lot of people are going to be fired. A lot of temporary workers, a lot of salaried, waged workers are going to be fired. And we need to stop that. Is that feasible too in your mind? I think that would be the, the single best thing if we were able to figure it out. Um, Denmark, um, the government's paying 75% of the pay of people. 
employers have to pay 25%. Workers, I think, have to give up some of their vacation days when all of this ends. You know, I don't know if that type of idea is feasible um, in the United States, but I certainly, um, among many others, are scrambling to see. Um, because at a time like this, you want to use tried and true methods like mailing checks. We know that'll work, but we're also going to want to try you know, some big, large experiments and um, bridging workers through this time in their jobs is, is far and away you know, the holy grail of those efforts. Yeah, I'm not really seeing anyone talking about this either, but for me, just a pause here. Do not fire people. Just bridge that gap. Because if we do get through this and we kickstart in three months, you're going to need those workers back. So don't get rid of them now. But we'll see. Jason, come back and talk to us soon. Thank you so much. And we hope we'll keep our fingers crossed that that your idea works in some part. (laughs) Jason Furman, thank you again. All right. The market open is next. We are limit down at this stage. So again, We could see a volatile start to this session. We'll bring it to you. The market open in the United States is next. You're with First Move. To first move once again. That was the opening bell at the New York Stock Exchange and some fists raised there in solidarity. We were expecting losses of around 7% right out of the gate. So again, we're in this process where trading just finds its feet. We work out precisely where the markets are trading at the start of the session. Just remember, if we fall some 7%, We halt trade for 15 minutes. We then resume. The next circuit breaker kicks in at a loss of 13%. And then we have another 15-minute halt. As you can see, we're under pressure. We're more than taking back the gains that we saw in yesterday's trading session. We're just oscillating up and down, session by session. At this stage, and I'm reticent to say it, but it does look like we're holding above that 7%. So no circuit breakers at this stage, but I'll continue to watch it. Let me give you a look at what we're seeing in the bond markets as well. You're looking at the US 10-year yield there. What you're seeing is bond prices falling. Yields are currently back up to around 1.1% in the United States. For context, yields hit a record low of 0.31% last week. So what we've got here going on is equities falling, and bond prices falling. Normally, you would see that flight to safety in into bonds, and particularly given all the moves that the Treasury is making to try and support bond prices and to push yields down, that will be a worry. So that's something to watch. Let me give you a look at what's going on for European markets as well. No, I'm going to show you oil first. That's fine. Okay, what we're looking at right now is uh, pressure in the energy markets, not helping sentiment in the equity session. You've got crude there trading at its lowest point in 17 years. It's a sign of recession concerns. It's also a sign of the broader issues that we've were discussing three weeks ago, and it feels like three years ago, the fact that there's no agreement to shore up supply going forward. 
we can take a look at Europe bonds as well now because we do have that. And I'll give you a look. Actually, that's the uh, stock session. OK, we're under pressure, as you can see. I mean, it's a global story. We've talked about this session after session. Paul and Monica joins me now. Paul, we're oscillating between frantic gains and, and frantic losses. I was saying yesterday, this is just a message from the markets again that, that more support is needed and we're hearing more and more companies simply downing tools, closing, closing stores. More support is required and that's being reflected, I think, in the anxiety that we see in, in stock markets and beyond. Yeah, without question, Julia. We had hoped that maybe we could get another rebound today. We haven't had two up days since mid-February. We've had these sharp drops and then a tiny, relatively speaking, rebound and then stocks fall again. And as you point out, right now, I think the focus is on Boeing and the aviation industry. What kind of bailout package will struggling airlines and aircraft manufacturers need? Boeing saying last night, it could be $60 billion for the aerospace manufacturing industry that will be needed to help support these companies. And I think what we have to understand, Paul, and it is such an important point, this is a huge employer. It's a huge contributor to, to US GDP. It's also had issues of its own, of course, with the MAX jets grounded. They've also bought billions and billions of dollars of, of stock buybacks. And I was I was looking on social media last night and there were a lot of people pushing back and saying, hey, hang on a second. This is a company that's bought back its own stock that's now asking for a bailout. What I think people have to understand here is it's it's bigger than one company. This is also yeah. about viable companies also going under as a result of what's happening here. Exactly. This is the big problem as I see it right now, and it is bringing back those memories of 2008. 2008, initially, and to this day still, there are a lot of people who aren't happy that the banks got a bailout. And I do understand the populist wrath that is there, that companies that made bad decisions, and you could argue that Boeing buying back its own stock was not the wisest use of capital, they shouldn't be bailed out by the government because we're supposedly a capitalist society. You just let them fail. But to your point, you can't let companies fail when they employ tens of thousands of people. And then there are the ripple effects for all the other industries that depend on Boeing and the aviation industry. You wind up having layoffs and job cuts there. We can't satisfy our zeal to punish corporate malfeasance by letting our economy go to tatters. It just doesn't make sense, even if people are angry. They'll be angrier if the market plunges even further and there are bigger job losses. And we're already looking at that, Paul. You, you phrased that perfectly. Boeing at this moment is too big to fail, but it's part of a, a system right now that is too big to fail. And too many companies, very viable companies, are also shuddering as a result of what we're seeing. And we have to keep that in mind. Bigger questions about behavior come after this when we when we survive this. Yeah, I mean, I think that what we may wind up having happen after we eventually get through this is that there will be much tougher regulations put into place for the aerospace industry and other industries in the same way that the financial sector became much safer after 2008. I mean, one thing that, you know, it's hard to find anything to be encouraged by in this market environment, but 
we're not really talking about legitimate fears of runs on the banks. The banks are capitalized, and I think you can argue that that is in large part due to new rules that forced banks to take on less risk and have more capital. You're now going to need to see that with a company like Boeing and others in the aerospace food chain. Stricter regulations need to be in place so that they can absorb a financial hit of this magnitude if, heaven forbid, there is one in the future. So much to discuss there, Paul, and, uh, and no mu- not enough time. The banks are far better capitalised now than the financial crisis provided. Support comes for all the businesses and all the workers that are struggling as a result of this global pause button on industry, on business, on daily life. Great to have you with us. Thank you for making uh, working from home look so easy. Paula Monica there. All right, the growing number of people living under some form of restriction, working from home, as you saw there, or isolation, is ramping up demand for online deliveries. Amazon says it's hiring an extra 100,000 full-time and part-time workers here in the United States. Joining us from Washington is Senior Vice President of Amazon, Jay Carney. He was also the White House Press Secretary under President Obama. Jay, fantastic to have you with us unprecedented times. Talk to me about the hiring that you're doing and what you're seeing right now as a business and the scale up in demand from people at home and and ordering online. Well, thank you for having me, uh, Julia. The situation we're facing is uh, a spike in demand from our customers uh, across all of our uh, businesses and geographies, the United States, the UK, and, and uh, the EU countries uh, where we have major marketplaces and, and stores. What that means is uh, we, this period is very similar for us uh, like the periods we see during uh, holiday season or around Black Friday where we see a spike in demand and we need to hire additional seasonal workers. So we put out a notice yesterday that we, uh, or the day before rather, that we're hiring 100,000 uh, new people, new positions. In addition to that, we're raising wages uh, by $2 per hour in the United States, two pounds uh, per hour in the UK, and, and approximately two euros uh, in the EU uh, in order to compensate workers for the, you know, the added load that this is, uh, that this is causing and, to, ob- and to, uh, to create an incentive for them to come in and join us. We have customers who are like everyone, desperate for essential goods, household goods, medical supplies. And they also are, if they're sheltering in place or just social distancing, they don't want uh, to go uh, out into stores to buy uh, other goods that they might find uh, otherwise in brick and mortar stores. So they're ordering more online and we need to meet that demand. There's a number of things here. A lot of people will be asking whether you can make that pay rise permanent. You can answer that. But I know you've also expanded sick leave policy to include part-time warehouse workers. You've also set up a relief fund of $25 million for for delivery partners. Jay, forgive me for asking this because I know this is unprecedented times. Do you think you're going far enough as a company? Everyone looks at Amazon as this bellwether for, for, for support here, for what corporates could be doing, big employers could be doing. Are you going far mm-hmm. enough? I think that's a perfectly acceptable question, and the answer is we 
meet every day as a leadership, uh, and that includes the CEO, Jeff Bezos, and, and the, the leaders of all of our businesses, and have this very conversation. What should we be doing? What can we do for our employees? What can we do for our customers? Uh, the relief fund you mentioned, we have one uh, specifically for the businesses where we're subsidizing rents, that, that the small businesses in our corporate buildings in Seattle. We have another one where we're uh, helping out uh, with grants, the small businesses that depend on all the employees uh, in our home city, our headquarters city of Seattle, who are now shuttered and don't have customers because our employees in Seattle are working from home. Uh, and we're doing the things that you mentioned, adding uh, adding additional sick leave, adding uh, unpaid leave, uh, rather paid leave for employees who are diagnosed or quarantined. But we're examining every day what more we can do. Hiring, I think, is uh, is important. Uh, as well, one of the things that we're noting uh, in the announcement is uh, we recognize that a lot of people, especially in service jobs, are uh, being furloughed uh, or laid off. They may need temporary work, uh, and this is now available to them, and we hope that they apply. They're welcome to join us. You don't need uh, uh, a lot of experience to come work in one of our film fulfillment centers. You come, you get trained on the job, and you can really help uh, make ends meet. Uh, while you wait for your old job to get back. To answer your question about whether uh, these jobs will become permanent, much like during our seasonal spikes in, in hiring, a lot of those seasonal workers then convert into full-time employees because we have that demand. And uh, if they, they like the job and uh, they want to stay, there's often availability for them. Yes. Facebook is giving employees, permanent employees, $1,000 checks. It's the topic of the moment. They have 45,000 employees. I know you have a lot more. Is this something mm -hmm. that you're discussing? Can you do this? Well, like I said, Julie, we're, we're talking about uh, all different ways uh, that, that we can help our employees and help uh, our customers uh, who number in the millions uh, and hundreds of millions in addition to our employees uh, and, and help the communities where we do business and the countries where we do business. We'll, we'll look at, we're looking at every uh, company's actions and, and searching for best practices to see what we can do. You know, our corporate uh, employee base, uh, you know, we're a tech company uh, and we're, uh, you know, those, those folks are uh, well compensated in a very competitive labor market. Uh, we're primarily concerned right now about our fulfillment center workers who are hourly workers in the United States and in the UK. We announced a minimum wage hike uh, last year that got a lot of attention to $15 an hour and uh, uh, I think over 10 pounds in, in the UK. We've now uh, uh, raised that minimum uh, for this period to 17 and by another two 17 dollars an hour and by another two pounds in the UK uh, I and, I, and I think the, the you know the, the message that sends is that these employees these these Amazonians really matter to us I, I'm pushing you I appreciate that final question Jay no problem um, I floated the idea of somehow having the government say particularly to big employees you can't fire anybody you can furlough them, perhaps you can pay them a bit less, but you can't fire them. We will provide support in whatever size to help facilitate that. But we are hopefully talking about a two to three month period. You'll need those workers back after that. If we simply don't let people go, they keep their benefits. Do you think that is a strategy that could work? As a, as, a, as a government policy, I, that's, that's a good question. Obviously, I've served uh, in the White House in, in, in this country, uh, and, and these are incredibly uh, trying times. I, I applaud 
uh, lawmakers, whether they're here in the United States, policymakers or uh, in the UK or the EU for for examining all sorts of possibilities, opening the box and saying, what what kind of creative things can we do to try to help people get through this period? We're fortunate at Amazon that that we're not furloughing and we're not laying off. We're actually hiring. Uh, but but the system and the problem is much bigger than one company. So uh, we are cooperating in every way we can with the governments uh, in every country where we do business. And uh, I welcome personally as a former uh, administration official, uh, experimentation and creative ideas. Yeah. And fast. Jay, great to have you with us. And fast. Jay Carney. Exactly. Yeah. Bias for action. We have to move quickly. Thank you yeah. so much. No, thank you. Senior Vice President there at Amazon, Jay Carney, and of course, former White House Press Secretary. All right, we're back after this. Stay with us. More to come. Welcome back to the show. Now, the joy of having your own show is you can make split-second decisions. So I want to welcome back Senior Vice President of Amazon, Jay Carney. Jay, thank you for staying in the chair because it just occurred to me I've got more questions for you and I could keep you here for an hour. But um, I just yeah. wondered, just in terms of what you're seeing from people buying products where potential bottlenecks are and, and what people at home that are perhaps watching and ordering from you need to bear in mind just in terms of extra time for delivery. Can you, can you talk us through just some of the practical things things that you're seeing and, and doing right now? Certainly, Julia. The uh, principal thing that we're seeing, and I think retailers around the world are seeing, is high demand for uh, specific household goods, uh, paper products like toilet paper, paper towels, wipes, sanitary wipes, uh, 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 antiseptic uh, uh, products, uh, disinfectant, uh, antibacterial wipes, that kind of thing, as well as uh, medical supplies. And and what we're doing uh, because of that high demand is working with our suppliers to prioritize as uh, the, the, the uh, intake of those products into our fulfillment centers, which are the the, the, the the hubs of our distribution network. And and we're prioritizing them temporarily over other products to ensure they turn around quickly so that we can get them out to customers. And we're doing that everywhere. Uh, what uh, I want to make clear to your viewers is that all other uh, items that you see for sale uh, on Amazon.uk or .com uh, are available, uh, but they are not being prioritized in terms of the quick turn uh, turnaround uh, in the way that those essential items are. Uh, so uh, business as usual to an extent with this prioritization on those goods that people need right away. And on those really high priority healthcare related, uh, sanitizing hand gels, for example, are you limiting the numbers that people can buy? Because I know all around the world, to some degree, we're seeing panic buying and, and authorities saying, please don't hoard because there's enough to go round if you don't hoard. It's hard for people, but is that also the message? And are you putting restrictions on for customers as well? Uh, that's a that's a very good question, and I and I need to find out uh, because these things are moving so quickly. Whether we right. have new information on that right now, the the where we're dedicating a lot of energy is to combating uh, price gougers. As you know, uh, our Amazon stores aren't just Amazon inventory. In fact, they're well over fifty percent uh, third party seller inventory. So we work closely with our sellers. Our sellers are overwhelmingly uh, you know good partners, and uh, they treat their customers uh, appropriately. But we do have some sellers out there. Who 
who have tried to gouge our customers by uh, spiking prices for products like you mentioned, uh, sanitizing gel and the like. And we have uh, aggressively taken them down. We have algorithms that identify uh, gouging and we have uh, human review 24 seven to find gougers and to pull them down. And uh, we are referring uh, the most egregious offenders uh, to local law enforcement or state law enforcement here in the United States and elsewhere uh, for prosecution if, if what they're doing is so bad that it deserves it. So you're doing your best to protect customers, which which makes sense. And for the workers that you are employing, a lot of people working from home, taking measures to try and protect themselves and each other. What measures are you putting in place simply to protect workers that, that are coming in, that are kind of serving those that are needing these products around the world? That's a great question. We are uh, and already have uh, instituted and are instituting uh, additional uh, cleaning uh, regimes in all of our fulfillment centers where equipment is routinely sanitized uh, and cleaned uh, periodically throughout the day. We have uh, social distancing uh, regulations now in place in our fulfillment centers to prevent congregations of people uh, in close proximity. One of the things that's uh, perhaps surprising to viewers about our warehouses, our fulfillment centers, is be- they are quite vast because they, they house a lot of uh, products. And while they employ, uh, in many cases, thousands of people, certainly hundreds, uh, the distances between them when they're doing their jobs uh, can be quite great already. We're ensuring that that's the case uh, uh, whenever possible. We're taking every precaution we can to protect our workers, providing them with uh, the necessary uh, uh, gear to, to increase their, their protection. And then when uh, the, we're, we're engaging with them like we do with our corporate employees and like em, uh, employers are doing around the country, which is if we have an employee who's feeling sick, he or she goes home, takes care of himself uh, and, and, and doesn't come back unless they feel better. Jay, great to have you with us. Thank you. Big picture and smaller picture. It's all vital at this moment. And uh, thank you to your workers, I'm sure, are working a lot of overtime. Thank you. Jay Thanks Carney. for what you're doing. No, thank you. Senior Vice President there at Amazon, former White House Press Secretary. All right, we're back after this and we'll take a look at what's going on in the markets. You're with First Move. We'll be back. Welcome back to First Move with a final look at what's going on more broadly across markets at this moment. Stocks sharply lower, but not as low as we were anticipating a pre-market. Remember, that 7% threshold, a decline of 7% is what triggers circuit breakers and that 15-minute trading halt at this stage. We're a few percentage points, as you can see, away from that, but still, again, under severe pressure and taking back much of the gains that we saw yesterday. What's weighing here? Well, Boeing, as we mentioned earlier on in the show, the biggest drag on the Dow, tumbling 18% on cash crunch concerns. Also, the energy sector, we mentioned that too, Chevron down, some 9% plunging oil prices pressure there. We've also got sterling under severe pressure in this session too. There's just a lot of nervousness. We're trying to make it work, guys. That's it for the show. Take care of yourselves. We'll be back tomorrow. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number Smart Beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 